0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, February second, two thousand eighteen. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and I want to start with something. Norlander wrote earlier this week about Purdue and Arizona because it really is just crazy how their season started relative to where they're at right now. Purdue opened this season 4-2 and two with losses to Tennessee and Weston Kentucky, and that landed the Boilermakers in the seventh-place game of the battle for Atlantis. Meantime, Arizona opened at 3-2. and two with losses to NC State and SMU, which landed the Wildcats in the seventh-place game of the battle for Atlantis. Then Purdue beat Arizona by 25 points in that seventh-place game, and Purdue hasn't lost since, and Arizona has only lost once since. So Purdue is, I think this is right, 21-0 outside of the battle for Atlantis. Arizona is 19-1 outside of the battle for Atlantis, which means they're a combined 40-1 outside of the battle for atlantis which means the seventh place game of the battle for atlantis the 2017 version is probably the best seventh place game in the history of regular season tournaments norlander let's start with your thoughts on what purdue and arizona have been able to do since they returned from the bahamas
1: Oh, it's uh, it's been wild. You are right. They are 41 on United States soil, uh, back on the homeland here, and 34-1 and combined since that game. And I remember talking about that game when it went down. It was just it was aberrational. People thought those two teams could be meeting in the championship game uh, out of the Battle for Atlantis. Instead, Arizona, it was the culmination of a, an early part of the season in which people wondered if Sean Miller had lost the team, if the FBI investigation was looming over this program to the point where it was actually going to tank Arizona's season. Purdue lost a couple of close games and rebounded and played well against Arizona, but at the same time people thought, okay, well, you know, maybe this isn't you know worthy of being a ranked team. And in fact, they both hopped out of the polls. Arizona set a record we can't find anything in the modern era or even kind of anything that predates that when uh, it was a top 25 of a team being ranked as high as second and dropping out week over week like Arizona did um just one of those interesting I don't it's not really a coincidence but Purdue with uh, they're both national championship contenders Purdue has a has a claim to a number one seed right now easily as we've spoken about on the podcast previously Arizona continues to look like a fairly well-rounded team in spite of the fact that it's had um irregularities with its with its rotation. You know, you've, you've seen Raleigh Alkinson and out of the lineup. I think, I believe he played most recently, though, on Wednesday at Washington State. As we record this podcast, there's a fairly big game. Maybe we can save that conversation for a little later in the podcast with Arizona at Washington. We'll get into the Huskies because even though they don't have good Ken Palm numbers, they've actually got a pretty solid case to be in the dance right now, and I think they're going to make the NCAA tournament. But with Arizona, the only loss they had was that close three-point loss at Colorado at the start of January. That was the game. Where Tad Boyle had his famous press conference where he said, hell yes, it feels good to beat a team like Arizona that has been caught up in the FBI stuff because Tad Boyle is no stranger uh, when it comes to speaking out against cheating in college basketball. Proudly says that his program and his staff has never been at any party to that. But aside from that, Arizona hasn't lost. They're nineteen and four, and I don't think a one seed is going to be possible. Um, even though their losses, excluding Colorado, their non conference losses: Purdue, SMU, North Carolina State. All those teams could could work their way to the tournament, um, unless Arizona ran the table and things happen around them. I don't think they've got a shot at a one seed. But overall, uh, it's been it's been pretty impressive to see the Wildcats. Go back to some of the form we thought they were going to be at. Those people who watched or who have uh, followed the Frosh watch understand that I've had DeAndre Ayton in the number two or number three spot all season long. He has been tremendous. Alonzo Trier also has been at an All-America level, and I have to point out that Dusan Ristich has been a better player than pretty much anyone that I talked to thought he would be. I thought he would be a nice piece, but he's actually turned out to be uh, pretty damn effective and, and pretty good in his senior season. Parker Jackson Cartwright as well has been uh, has been a decent three-point shooter overall. So uh, Purdue, I feel like we've talked about a lot. Arizona, not so much in recent podcasts. It is just quite interesting that they met in that seventh place game. um, And we thought that easily their seasons might just be headed toward uh, bubble land, if not worse. And yet that has not happened. They have shaped back into form. And it is a reminder that preseason polls can often be a nice harbinger or a good look forward as to how the season will shape up. We are seeing that plenty with uh, Arizona and Purdue even more so. If anything, they've gone well beyond expectations.
0: On Purdue, real quick, i got nothing new to say. They're terrific. Uh, they're eight, uh, they've got eight top 50 Kempom wins, zero sub-50 losses. Um, they look like the best team in the Big Ten. They would be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament if we put a bracket together today. Um, I think they probably will ultimately be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Arizona, though, has won at a similar rate to Purdue. Uh, since leaving the Bahamas, has way more question marks still. Or at least uh, I think you can look at it one of two ways. The one way is the way we looked at it in the preseason, which is just you look at the roster, and they're obviously super-duper talented and and obviously good. But they're still only 20th at Kenpom. They have zero wins over schools I have ranked right now. They've only got two top 50 Kenpom wins. That's one over Texas A&M, the other over Arizona State. They both came in the state of Arizona, one at home and one I believe in in, in Phoenix. They're 2 and 2 against top 55 Kempom teams with two sub 55 losses, the losses being to NC State and Colorado. So the resume isn't great. So when you look at them, you see great pieces and perhaps a a team that can be great, but the resume right now is not great at all. Like it's not a it's not a top 10 resume even if you think they are a top 10 team
1: yeah I think that's true um well
0: well how much of that is the Pac-12 as opposed yeah to that's them? what like, g- that, GP
1: that's exactly what I was getting at here is that the Pac-12 is not going to be serving Arizona well this season and the fact that A&M has been a letdown is going to hurt them even more um if if they were to you know i don't think they're going to win out if they were but if you want to go like they went out in the regular season drop one more in the Pac12 tournament like i honestly think it's like a three seed at best because of what the Pac12 isn't now if you can get washington to be better and usc to be better and arizona state to win all the games that aren't against the two teams i just mentioned and maybe arizona you've got a shot there but um but there's a there's a soft underbelly here with the Pac12 and it is going to i believe impact the way that the teams in that conference wind up getting seated, not named Arizona State uh, because the non-conference performance for Pac-12 teams isn't outstanding. And then the league itself, it's just okay. We're going to get to a situation here where, though we have new um, evaluations with quadrants and, and tiers with, uh, with the selection committee, and we'll save that for another podcast uh, for a deeper talk about that. Um, I think the Pac-12 is just, the, on an individual basis, these teams are not going to be rewarded that well because the league itself isn't that strong. Whereas you're going to have Big 12 teams, and in my opinion, even though there's just, it's almost indecipherable, <laughs> like teams 3 through 13 in the SEC to a certain extent, uh, I think that league is going to help itself, whereas the Pac-12 might fall short.
0: Um, if you're not a Kimpom guy, because the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee actually uses uh, the RPI to to group teams, it's uh, still not great. 0 and 1 versus top 25 RPI teams. Um, they do have five top 50 RPI wins, but they're all 30 or lower. And then they've got three sub 60 losses on the resume. I only bring that up because it is true that uh, the uh, the NCAA tournament selection committee is going to group you know wins and losses by uh, the RPI, which Jerry Palm is always anxious to point out. It 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 is hilarious to me how much he hates Ken Palm. I mean, he's, it's so funny.
1: I know he is. Well, he is also his method he here is Ken he's Mom so much. <laughs> he's trying to predict committee habits. What's going to be interesting, Parrish, is that like the committee more and more is is open to Sagarin, KPI, Ken Palm, all of that. And I believe that the committee's uh, habits are going to be evolving even more this season. So it's getting a little bit tougher, and we're going to have. A change here next season I believe in uh, when the RPI is is phased out and they're using some sort of composite metric that's taking into account many more metrics aside from that so it's going to be I think an intriguing year for bracketologists this year and that's part of the fun we like to see how they're projecting things and and where they might be right and where they might be wrong and then next year I think it'll kind of be a free for all, Uh, it might be tougher to project uh, tournament teams, seeds at large and snubs overall, it should be a, a fun time of transition here
0: um I think it was Rob Doster the other day after some media members got into a fight on Radio Row or an argument on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. He was like, if you could get any two college basketball media members, like if you could have a fight between them, who would you want? And there were a whole bunch of answers. My personal answer would be Jerry Palm, not against Ken Pomeroy, like actually, but against just Ken Palm, the thing. I want to see Jerry Pom fight oh, Kim Pomeroy's computer. <laughs> he hates it so much. Every time somebody brings up Kim Pom to him, he's so quick to be dismissive of it. It is the funniest thing in the world to me. He hates Kim Pomeroy's website so much. <laughs> 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 so why do you think he hates Kim Pomeroy's website so much?
1: I can't. I you know what? I can't answer that as it pertains to. to
0: he was the- he was arguing with people on Twitter this morning about Kim Pomeroy's uh, about, about Kim Pom, and I was just laughing. Like I'm here by myself at the house, just laughing. Uh, like an insane person. I, I think it's so funny how much he, he just wants Kim Pom to that, that. He wants Kim Pom's website to just go away.
1: We are in a new, we are in a new era. And uh, in fact, I think we'll see people might not be totally aware of this if we really want to get wonky with it. Um, but like there's things called strength of record, which I believe is an ESPN base metric. Um, there are going to be other factors that the NCAA is taking into account here when it comes, it's not just Pomeroy. It's not just Sagarin. Um, I understand some people get frustrated with a lot of these metrics, but the the grand picture is this. they do, They do inevitably and undeniably help in evaluations because if you did not have them, think about a world where you did not have that and you did not have RPI and you were just going off of poll rankings and what you saw on television, I guarantee you, if you threw out an alternate universe in that scenario, the NCAA tournament bracket would look so much different and for the worse because we, as our, our eyes and our brains, are not capable of intaking as much information as these, these algorithms and these systems and these metrics are. And we are certainly better for it. And the ultimate, like, the thing is, we just want to make the tournament as close to accurate as possible and then let the chips fall where they may. That's the beauty of it. I like trying to get it as good as it can for the 68. And once it out there, roll the ball out and let the chaos uh, create itself. Because I think that's what makes the sport and and March so uh, so great in of itself. We're evolving to get closer to that. It's never going to be perfect, and that's fine. It's it's great to have those upsets, but we want to just try and reflect as best as we can uh, with that field of sixty
0: eight. Yeah, I, where people get caught up on it is they care too much about three, four, five, six, seven, like the order of things. Where I don't think that's nearly as important as the grouping of it. Like, OK, here's here's a, here's a group of 25. Here's a group of 50. Here's a group of 75. Here's a group of 100 top 25 Ken Palm wins or RPI wins top 50 Ken Palm wins or RPI wins. I think that is an, an incredible tool f- for trying to actually, as you said, evaluate how good a team is, like how many top 25, whatever wins do they have, how many top 50, how many sub 50 losses. I reference those all the time uh, because I do think that is uh, that's the best way to to truly evaluate um, a resume, which is probably why the selection committee um, uses grouping tools as, as well. If you're looking for tickets to anything, SeatGeek is the place to look. It's where I look. It's where Matt Norlander looks. It's Absolutely. Where I went just the other day when I got a text from a friend I owed a favor. So he sends me this text, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm headed to Boston uh, for the weekend. Wanted to know – if uh, you could call Brad Stevens and get me some tickets to a Celtics game. And I thought about that for like a half a second. And then I decided I don't want to bother Brad with stuff like that. I'm sure he gets hit with stuff like that all the time. So instead of texting Brad Stevens, I just opened my SeatGeek app. And in a matter of seconds, I was staring at Hawks Celtics tickets. Two clicks later, I was buying Hawks Celtics tickets. SeatGeek really is that simple. It's the best way to find the best seats at the best prices because it searches multiple ticket sites for you and everything. It's fully guaranteed. So use SeatGeek next time you're buying tickets, and if you're buying tickets for the first time, make sure to use the promo code College BB to get twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's College BB promo code College BB to get twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase at SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. So, my friend and colleague, John Rothstein, is pushing for Jalen Brunson to be National Player of the Year. We argued about this on television the other night. I ask you, Matt Norlander, as somebody who has a great appreciation for Jalen Brunson, but also Trey Young, is there even a case to be made for Jalen Brunson, National Player of the Year, over Trey Young?
1: There is a case to be made, and the reason why there's a case to be made is even though Trey Young is definitively the pick right now, in my opinion, de- definitively, um, it's not without. Uh, he's not out of reach, I guess, is the way I would say it. And if you're going to say he's not out of reach, well, then who's the most likely option B? It's got to be Brunson, in my opinion. Villanova, number one team in the polls, has looked really good. Their offense is fantastic. He runs that offense. He is uh, a very smart, capable player who I think is going to go on to be a, a really solid pro right now. Brunson has been a better player and meant more to his team than I think anyone on Virginia, singularly. The same for Purdue. Still kind of the same for Duke, even though Bagley's been a stat monster. There have been plenty. Gary Trent Jr. stepped up and had some big games. And uh, Wendell Carter's been very solid. Even Grayson Allen had that uh, that flair of a game against Michigan State. Um, speaking of Michigan State, you know, Miles Bridges is not in that conversation right now. Devontae Graham has fallen short of being in that conversation. At Kansas, no one is really standing out. Singularly, it, in my opinion, Auburn's been good, but Mustafa Heron hasn't been that great. St. Mary's has Jacques Landale, who's been solid. But but he is definitely not in that conversation whatsoever. Uh, Keenan Evans at Texas Tech has been a really improving player and had 38 earlier this week, including a game-winner in overtime against Texas. That's awesome. Respectfully to Keenan Evans, he doesn't really have a shot at National Player of the Year. He's not on a, on a marquee program. His numbers aren't quite good enough, and within his own league, Texas Tech might not even win the conference. It's going to be hard to overcome that. Uh, Trayvon Blewett might have an outside shot if Xavier's able to steal a game versus Villanova. But overall... I'm hitting on most of the guys there. Aiton or Trier might cancel each other out. Wichita state hasn't had Shamit be able to step up and do something. Um, and no one on Kentucky is really uh, really has a case right now overall anyway. Um, so Brunson is the definitive option B. But right now, Trey Young still leads the country in points and assists. And as long as that is the case, Oklahoma is tournament-bound. As long as the bottom doesn't come out on Oklahoma and it's a five-seater better, you're going to have a player do something that's never, ever been done in Division One college basketball. That is why Trey Young is going to win National Player of the Year. If his stats drop off, we'll have a different conversation. But nothing suggests he's going to slip there. And so that's why he's still got to be considered... Firmly ahead of Brunson.
0: That's my position as well. Uh, Jalen Brunson is terrific. He's averaging 19.4 points, 4.9 assists, 3.2 rebounds, and just 1.5 turnovers in 30.9 minutes per game. Shooting 56% from the field, 49% from three-point range, 78% from the free throw line. His team's 21 and one and ranked number one in the country. That is absolutely national player of the year stuff. In other years, but not not when Trey Young exists, not when Trey Young is leading the country in scoring an assist and doing it for a top 15 uh, team. Uh, If you want to have a conversation about if you made Trey Young go away forever, who should be national player of the year? I'd probably start my list with with Jalen Brunson. He should be a consensus first-team All-American right now. Um, But you just, like, you know, sometimes everybody agrees on something because there's only one correct answer. And, uh... I think national player of the year in college basketball in this season, at this point, um, there's only one correct answer. There's only one accurate answer, and it's uh, it's Trey Young from from Oklahoma. Like you said, if the stats fall off or the team goes in the tank, perhaps we can uh, reevaluate it. In fact, we definitely will reevaluate it. But uh, right now, it, it's Trey Young, and th- that's where the list stops. There's not even any other real candidates right now. He he should be everybody's vote. The way I do the politics column on Monday, if we were if we if they tomorrow asked 65 AP voters to list their national player of the year and it wasn't 65 Trey Young's like the, the whoever didn't put Trey Young down would be the um, the focus of of the column. Because it, anything other than Trey Young, uh, I think at this point is is probably nonsensical. Wichita State lost again Thursday night, 81, 79 in overtime. At Temple, so the Shockers are two and three in their past five games. They are on the season now, three and four against top fifty Kimpom teams, with one sub fifty uh, five sub fifty five loss. You concerned about them?
1: A couple things. Uh, I told you this might happen off air, yep. and lo and behold, it did. Um, I did not see the first seventy percent of this game because I was helping my mother in law with piece of ikea furniture where are you at on ikea just as a side note like do you have any ikea stuff in your house
0: yes we have an ikea in memphis we do have ikea stuff i don't think we have ikea furniture but we have my wife has been to ikea and certainly ran my credit card at ikea yeah but but i've never personally been inside i've never seen it. oh, I don't it's, go. it's something like actually yeah. when you
1: walk in an ikea first of all you can lose two hours like nothing and It is brilliantly designed. We will get to Wichita State. It is (laughs) it is brilliantly designed in that you walk into these faux kitchens and living rooms and bedrooms and you're like, "This is amazing. I want to I want to sleep here tonight. I want to live here." And uh, the functionality of a lot of their stuff is very tempting. Um, It's just, and then you. It's fine, I guess, but I've just because we, you know, we got the house and I helped my mother in law with this thing. I just, I've been uh, involved in the. in the assembly of Ikea furniture like six times in the past three months, and I'm about done with it. So I didn't know. I, you're not exactly uh, manual uh, <laughs> labor friendly. Uh, you famously said you wouldn't even know how to change a tire if you broke down on the side of the road. Dude, so I didn't know I if you would actually I ever put, put anything together from Ikea. No, anything, any
0: never. I, I can't put together like stuff. We're, we're at the point now when stuff needs to be assembled, even stuff for our children. Kelly doesn't even ask me. Like I will come home and like her brother will be here putting something together in our garage, or the neighbor will be here putting something together. Like I, I am totally. She doesn't even like. Last night I put together Hungry Hungry Hippos. I bought a new Hungry Hungry Hippos from Amazon. That's it came achievement in. Achievement right there. Yeah, and I had to I had to like actually attach the hippos to, and it. it I, I will say it was easy, but like that is about. The extent of me actually assembling something, like if you need me to put together a Hungry Hungry Hippos, I can do that. But like, put together a grill or like um, yeah, a, a, tele- grill. a like a television stand or anything, anything you would buy at IKEA, that no, no, no chance, like no chance whatsoever. And so, um, um, I, I don't know that we have IKEA furniture, but I, I don't we have things from IKEA because I know Kelly and the kids have been there before. But honestly, anything new anything within the past 2 or 3 years that's been built in the memphis area the, the outside of a restaurant i have not there's a there's a brand new elaborate outlet mall you know like that i drive by literally every day going back and forth to my radio studio never been there it's been here for 3 years 4 years i've never been there the the big bass pro pyramid they took the pyramid turned it into the largest bass pro shop in the world it's like a tourist att- attraction people come here from all over the country to go there never been there um, and IKEA, which was a big deal when they opened it, like people were super excited in a way that didn't quite make sense to me. But whatever, I'm not here to tell people uh, what to get excited about. I- I've never been to IKEA, never even seen it. I don't even know where it is. But I, but I, but I do. I've seen it on my credit card receipt, <laughs>
1: so <laughs> it's worth the trip. Anyway, I bring this up because I was helping her, and I wound up missing a lot of this game. And uh, so I, I just wanted your perspective on what happened early. Uh, you can reply after I'm uh, through my thought here. Um, I still. Maybe I'm just stubborn with Wichita State here. I still think that, even though defensively, there's something up here. Um, I don't understand how they're this average on defense because they've they've had most of their roster available here since December. Um, I knew there were going to be some stumbles. They're doing okay overall, like 17 and five with the transition. They're all, they're all right. Um, if you if you posed. If you pose to Wichita State fans, okay, you're a preseason top five team, but this is where you're going to be. Would you take this or chance it? Otherwise, they would have actually chanced it. I think if you had told them 17 and five on February one, what would you do? Um, okay, well they would have chanced the the reverse. But I still think that they're they're capable with the talent they have of 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 doing well. The interesting thing to note is they have not played Cincinnati yet. Now, Cincinnati is is almost essentially locked up the league, have a three-game lead in the loss column, now the Shockers have dropped their third. That first game won't come until February 18th at Cincinnati, and then they wrap up the regular season. which Shaw State gets that game at home on March 4th against the Bearcats. Uh, GP, um, I know you were, uh, you were around on Thursday night. Not sure how much of the game you were able to see, but in the event that you saw some of the first half, anything in particular, um, or was it just a tough road game? Temple's a weird team, by the way. Um, maybe it's a bad matchup for them. I know they can kind of play a little slow here and there. What do we think?
0: Um. Listen, Marcus McDuffie had a shot at the buzzer. So if he if it goes down, we're probably not even talking about this. You know, they're eighteen and four overall, um, eight and two in the league, and on a three-game winning streak. So everything's fine. But when you lose, it draws eyeballs, and particularly when you're Wichita State, a a program that isn't used to losing um, at this rate. Obviously, it's just. um, You know, I was talking. I, I did a game with Steve Smith. Uh, the former NBA player last weekend, it was the Memphis Cincinnati game. So we were talking a lot about the American athletic conference, just sitting around uh pregame and that kind of stuff. And, and Wichita state came up and Steve made the, I, I think accurate, but also very simple point of, you know, they're they're every night now they're playing against better, um, you know, better athletes, uh, better in theory, better coaches. Um, and, and so like that, it, it takes a toll on you. Like it used to, you would, um, If you're Wichita State playing in the Missouri Valley, on off nights, you'd still get by, usually. Um, but on off nights, when you step up in leagues, it, you, you can get caught, and that seems to be what, what happened last night. To your point about Temple, yeah, weird team because they've got wins over Auburn and Clemson and now Wichita State, but they've lost to LaSalle and GW, Tulane. There it is, Tulane. Tulane. Uh, <laughs> they lost to Memphis. Like Memphis, like that—that that might not sound bad on the surface, but Memphis loss. is, yeah. yeah, a home loss to a Memphis team that's ranked 154th at Ken with zero top 150 recruits. Like that's 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 not good, um, but it does suggest that Temple is is you know the the wins over Auburn and Clemson suggest that they are good enough to beat you if you're don't if you don't play well, and they actually do. But then they're also like lousy enough to lose to, to basically anybody. And so if you're trying to rationalize things, if you're Wichita State, you say, hey, they beat, you know, they they beat Clemson and Auburn too. And we're still top 25 at Ken Palm. We're still 17 and 05 overall. But there are issues there. Like they're not guarding in a way that um, a Greg Marshall team typically guards. And you and I both thought by now, I mean, it's February, that by now they would have that figured out. And yet they, they clearly do not have it figured out. They're um, outside of the top 60 right now in, in defensive efficiency
1: yeah i i th- i think they've got potential here to still get it right um they might be you know a quintessential team where like under the radar sweet 16 kind of dark horse team we'll see um it just remains to be seen but yeah that was obviously the biggest the biggest result of thursday and something that i think w- was kind of a I haven't, you know, spoken with Greg Marshall or anything, but I, I'm sure after that loss, you know, there's there might be some reevaluation of what the team is and what it needs to be, what it needs to do going forward. Um, GP, before we get to uh, some previous stuff, if we'll allow me to segue, let's just hit Washington real quick here, because I know we want to talk Washington, Arizona. That's a pretty big game, but they got to win over Arizona State on Thursday night. Um, home win, and the Huskies are 16-6. and This is the first season under Mike Hopkins. He's done a fairly solid job. I've got Jalen Noel in my top 10 at the Frosh Watch there for two weeks now. He's been a pretty solid player overall, kind of zipping under the radar. He has stepped in and helped Matisse Taiboul, who's been really good. Noah Dickerson, Washington has a shot here at getting into the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. Their next opportunity is Saturday at home against Arizona. Right now, um, they've got the win over Kansas, which is growing in value by the week, which is huge. They opened the season with a a home win over Belmont, which won't amount to too much. But if Belmont can get into the tournament, uh, I think that will end up... uh, They'll be in a, a better position RPI-wise and through the metrics that it might help Washington's resume overall, even if just a little, that little could mean something. Otherwise, outside the league, they haven't done a ton. They're going to need to get all their home wins in Pac-12 play. The critical thing for Washington is they entered Thursday with six home games and four road games remaining in league play. So if they don't lose at home, I think they're going to be in an okay spot. And then can they steal one? Can they just beat Oregon State on the road, get that one, split the Bay Area trip with Stanford to Cal? I think they'll wind up being in a decent spot. We haven't talked about them at all this season on the podcast, rightfully so, because they really haven't created much buzz. But beating Arizona State on Thursday was big. Now they've got the huge opportunity at home against Arizona. I really think this is the kind of game that could... It might be the tipping point. They don't play Arizona again this season. Maybe they get a shot at them at the Pac-12 tournament. Not convinced of that. We'll have to see if that bracket breaks just right. But if they beat the Wildcats, then you can say that they are on the path to an at-large bid, and that's something that almost no one thought was going to be possible this season. First for Mike Hopkins, obviously after that disastrous final season under Lorenzo last year. They only had nine wins.
0: What if I told you three months ago that on February 2nd, Washington would have more top-50 Kempom wins than Arizona? Man, is that is? are you kidding me with that stat right now? They've got a win over Kansas. They've got a win over USC, which is 44th at Ken Palm, and they've got a win over Arizona State. Arizona only has two top 50 Ken Palm wins mm-hmm. right now, and Washington has three. And if they are able to get Arizona on Saturday at home, uh, that would be four. And I think it would absolutely put them in the conversation for the NCAA tournament if they're not already there because, like we've talked about before, Um, bubble teams, what they usually don't have is, is a whole bunch of uh, quality wins. And Washington could theoretically be sitting on selection Sunday with a win over the big 12 champ with a win over the Pac 12 champ. Like that's, that's pretty good for a bubble team. And, um, it does underline like Mike's done a good job here. Um, you sort of look around the country at some of these first year head coaches, Conzo Martin at Missouri, um, Kevin Keats at NC state, uh, uh, Mike Hopkins at Washington they've been able to flip these things pretty quickly and uh, I don't think all of them are going to be in the NCAA tournament perhaps none of them will be in the NCAA tournament but they've all taken complete messes like embarrassingly bad basketball programs at least in the 2016-17 season and turned them into to respectable products and they did it like not literally overnight but you know what I mean
1: yeah, it's been uh, it's been a, a plenty interesting season here, uh, specifically in Seattle. And uh, just as a as an extended thought, GP, I was just thinking as you were were talking, uh, um, I wonder what the next three seasons will be like for Hopkins in Washington, and if Syracuse will wind up right. playing well. It, it, let's just you know put that aside. Let's think about it. We'll address it down the road here. I just uh, wonder what's gonna what's gonna happen there as for the well, game what,
0: what, what are you suggesting that Syracuse could come back after Mike Hopkins
1: no I'm suggesting that well maybe maybe that's not I don't think that's totally out of
0: the question but oh it, I, I think they would here's what I would say once you if you get it going at Washington to the point where Syracuse is interested in you I think you just keep it going at Washington probably
1: so that'll be interesting if it, if it ends up going that way um but we'll see, and then we'll just see how Washington does, how Syracuse does, and in, in the winter, of Jim Bayheim's career will be something interesting to track. As for this game, I'm going to take Arizona on the road. Um, I would; it would be more interesting if Washington won, um, but I, I've got confidence in the way that Arizona has been playing. Uh, I think this will be a, a fairly close and entertaining game. Um, Arizona is just. I, I think they've got too much down low, uh, but perhaps this will be a coming out party for Washington because this kind of win would be one of the headlines of the weekend. There's just no doubt about it whatsoever. I'll take Arizona. This is a late tip, by the way. 1030 on Saturday night. Ask your friend's friend's friend for his Pac-12 Network login, because if you don't have the channel, that's uh, pretty much the only way you're going to be able to watch this, which is unfortunate for that league because it should uh, be trying to put this game on in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Unfortunately, this is a Pac-12 after dark situation. I've got the Wildcats. What about you?
0: Yeah, I think probably Arizona wins a post-game. It's on Pac-12 Network, I think because I get this question sometimes. I know you know the answer, but... Obviously, some people don't because I get this question on Twitter sometimes, like, "Why is this on the Pac-12 Network?" They decide these things back in the summer. Oh yeah, with the, su- the summer. Event. Yeah. So, um, where
1: you can't change f- it, like it's not flex scheduling. They like, couldn't. They couldn't have changed it like a week and a half ago.
0: College football, they they pick them two weeks in advance. I think, um, like it's they can change on the fly. In other words, if Mississippi State's supposed to be bad, so you don't anticipate them being on CBS or or. ESPN, but then Dak Prescott's got them ranked number one in the country, then they're on – CB. you can put them on CBS. You can put them on ESPN. You can put them in primetime. You can do whatever you want, not whatever you want, but you can do a lot. Of, you can adjust football schedules like on the fly in in terms of where the games are going to be broadcast. But basketball schedules are put together and like like they're in – Like they're basically in when they're in. They're put together in the offseason. And so the question, if the question is, why is Arizona-Washington on Pac-12 Network, it's because this was not supposed to be an important game. Washington was supposed to stink. So you wouldn't have anticipated. um, It's the same reason Arizona-Arizona State that first game, when it was like Arizona State was ranked in the top five. you know, And it was on Pac-12 Network, because that wasn't supposed to be um, a high-profile game. But suddenly Washington coming off of the win over Arizona State, And Arizona State team, by the way, that's now four and six. In it's past ten games after starting, what was what twelve and zero? They're four and six now. They haven't won consecutive games since before Christmas. They've now got five sub sixty Ken losses. I dropped them out of the top twenty five and one on Friday morning. So Washington beats them on Thursday night, and suddenly, um, at the very least, even if it doesn't register nationally, it's a huge game for that fan base. Yeah. Like that Washington fan base that has just been through it, like one lottery pick after another in recent years, but a terrible basketball team. Um, it's a huge opportunity if they get it. Uh, absolutely, they're in the NCAA tournament picture. I do not. I'd be surprised. I won't be surprised if I just you know if we got a gun to head. You got to pick a winner. I, I guess I would go with Arizona on the road. But it is worth noting, uh, Stanford. That's not good, but Stanford and Gonzaga are the only teams to win at Washington this year. So they have typically the Huskies taking care of of what they got to take care of at home. And so we'll see uh, yeah. if we can if we can stay awake uh, on on Saturday night. Uh, I'll log in and watch it. If not, I'll just see the score on Sunday morning. Whatever.
1: What games are popping uh, out to you on Saturday?
0: Okay, so it's an interesting weekend in the sense that it's not really an interesting weekend on the surface. There is not a single game this weekend. Between two teams ranked. that are nationally ranked. Okay. Not a single game, um, at least according to the AP poll. Um, but you do have some handful of games that are interesting, and I had Arizona-Washington on that list. We've discussed that, so let's move on to the other ones. Kentucky at Missouri.
1: That is a 2 o'clock tip on CBS. It's the network of stars. It's
0: America's most-watched network.
1: That's right. Um, I have no idea who's going to win this game. Missouri uh, Missouri's going through some stuff, too. Uh, Terrence Phillips has been accused by four different women of varying uh, incidents of of sexual assault. He denies all of them. I actually spoke out about it. Um, Remains to be seen what's going to happen with him in that program. Uh, On the court, Tigers need this one. They are they are a uh, bubble team supreme right now, in my opinion, and getting a win over Kentucky would be huge. Conversely, if Kentucky is able to get a road win, it would signal um, a four-game win streak that almost no one thought possible heading into West Virginia. They got that one last weekend. They should have lost to Vanderbilt. Earlier this week, uh, I will take Missouri to win this basketball game, 75-70. to 70, uh, I like the Tigers over the Wildcats. Should be a good one. 2 o'clock tip Saturday, CBS.
0: Yeah, I'll take Missouri as well. And I would hit you with the straight up, but I don't even think it's going to be an upset. I think Missouri will probably be favored at tip-off or as soon as that line is posted. So um, despite what Kentucky did at West Virginia last weekend, and by the way, West Virginia can't beat anybody now. Um, they since we last recorded lost again this time at Iowa State by 16 points so that West Virginia teams now lost five of their past six games and against Iowa State they only forced eight turnovers like if you don't it's if you it's bizarre like what has happened to this team So my point is when Kentucky goes and wins at West Virginia, It's like, oh, wow. It was super impressive. And it's still impressive regardless of the details. But West Virginia is like – everybody beats West Virginia now. So how impressive was that? And then you back it with a miracle win over Vanderbilt. Like I don't know that Kentucky's equipped to go win at Missouri. I mean they can certainly do it. But, again, I'll just say, like I said with Arizona-Washington, tell – you know, gun to head you got to pick a winner. I would feel more comfortable taking Missouri at home than I would – Uh, then I would be taking Kentucky at Missouri. So I'll go Missouri to win that game, but I do think it'll be close West Virginia. We just talked about they're hosting Kansas state, Kansas state is a team that it's a quality team, but you know, they, they, they need some, some relevant wins to, to put on their resume. Um, and nobody, I don't think in the country, at least among relevant teams is more, um, in need of a just a, a win to try to get things back on the right path right now than the West Virginia so that's a that's a pretty interesting game again Kansas, Kansas State <laughs> is sitting here at five and four in the big 12 16 and six uh, overall but um you know how many great wins are on their resume they've got the Oklahoma win they've got a TCU win depending on what you th- think of Baylor they got a Baylor win but that's about it
1: Looks like you almost got Tripped up by a cough there, but no cough button on the podcast this ain't your radio I, show here
0: I was about to try to hit the mute button, but I recognized I was uh I, it would, it'd probably sound weird so I just tried to tough it out
1: i've got I've got West Virginia at home i'm gonna just I'm gonna put my faith in West Virginia having a snapback game finally in a huge dominating fashion i'll take West Virginia by double digits that's a four o'clock tip on Saturday um, I don't think it's going to be all that interesting there um Virginia plays at Syracuse. Maybe a trap game. Just keep your eye on it. That's a 4 o'clock tip. Nothing we need to get too into uh, in-depth with. But maybe that winds up being an upset we wind up talking about on the next podcast. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, before you continue with other games that I think you're going to bring up, I will mention USC at UCLA. Uh, it's a game where it's a 6 o'clock tip on Saturday. Both teams kind of need the wind to strengthen the resume. One team's not going to get it. Um usc on the road there i I will take ucla to win that game at home but what else there's there's definitely two games we haven't touched on yet that i think are worth getting to i presume you're going to at least mention one of them on saturday
0: well um on usc real quick okay you know after they lose to stanford at stanford they were 11 and 6 overall and 2 and 2 in the pac-12 and since then they have won six games in a row now, there's not a great win in there, but it's a little bit like what we talked about with Arizona. Like, I'm banging on Arizona because they don't have top 50 Kempom wins. But then it's like, yo, if, like, if I'm Sean Miller, I'm saying, where do you want me to get them? Like, I'd be happy to go play. If you put one on my schedule, I'll go play it. Um, you're not getting those opportunities in the Pac-12 this season. And so, um, you know, UCLA is not top 50, but they are top 55. This is an opportunity for, for USC to not only win – a seventh consecutive game but to add a quality win like a win at UCLA um that's a quality win uh, you know for the NCAA tournament selection committee's purposes and then the following week they go at Arizona State at Arizona if you could go 2 and 1 in these next 3 games if you're Andy Enfield uh, that puts you at 10 and 3 in the Pac 12 uh 19 and 7 overall and you would have added at least two top fifty-five Kimpom wins to your resume. That's getting that's that's a pretty good spot relative, again, to you know how they started this season. They were four and three at one point, six and four at one point, eleven and six in one point. Uh, but now they got it rolling a little bit.
1: Yeah, they do. I'll be interested in that one. Um, t-
0: uh, other games, uh, like one yeah. I've what I've got here in my notes is Oklahoma at Texas. Yeah, I mean, if, o- if only because you get to top 10 picks yep. on the court together. Now they ain't really going to be uh, on uh, around each other too much unless Trey gets to the rim, which
1: it could, be, be, good fun. Luck. <laughs> could be fun. <laughs> good luck. We'll see good luck. how that goes for him. If it happens or, or,
0: or, or, or Mobamba gets caught in a pick and roll, but on um, a switch, but uh, still when you got two top 10 picks on the court together, that's an interesting game.
1: It is. Texas has this game at home. Um, this is a primetime game on Saturday Really, a situation where Texas would would serve itself very well if it can get this win on its home floor. Uh, it's a six fifteen tip, uh, Eastern. I, oh man, this is a, this is a tough call here because Texas. I just brought up their resume. They've got the fourth ranked defense uh, per one hundred possessions adjusted efficiency margin at Ken Palm right now. Four and five in the league. Um, Fourteen and eight overall. Man, this would really serve them well if they were able to get this. It's better for the Big 12. Like, Actually, there are two games. It's better for the Big 12 if Texas wins this game. And then if TCU also on its home floor against Texas Tech, if it's able to win that game. TCU, 4-5 and five as well in the Big 12. Just to get that win, Texas Tech can afford to lose that game and really not have too much damage to its resume. So for the league, it would be better if the Horned Frogs and the Longhorns both got their wins. I will take I'll take TCU, and then I'm going to take Oklahoma. Let me do over-under Trey Young here for you. He's coming off 44. Um, I'm going to drop this, though. All right, Texas is fourth-ranked defense. I'm going to drop it down to... 28 and a half points really tempt you. I'll say, uh, I'm going to tempt you all around here, actually. Mm. Uh, 28 and a half points, uh, eight and a half assists, and we got to go turnovers. And number four defense, we'll say six and a half turnovers. Twenty-eight point five, eight point five, six point five. 8.5, 6.5. Where are we going?
0: Over in points, under an assist, over in turnovers. I'm
1: going to go under points, under assists, under turnovers all around mm. I think this is going to be a game Oklahoma not only Wins, Trey plays well I'm going to say like 26 Points, 8 assists 5 turnovers And just a, a, a big step Up game from everyone else around him Close game, Oklahoma barely wins But they get it thanks in large part uh, Over the final few minutes from uh, from His supporting cast Brady Mannix has been awesome this
0: year I would say that um, It's worth pointing out Oklahoma hasn't won a road game since December 30th, you know, they've lost at West Virginia. They've lost at Kansas state. They've lost at Oklahoma state. They've lost at Alabama. So you're asking them to do something. Um, they haven't done in a while, which is a little surprising given that early in the season, they had a road win at Wichita state and a road win, uh, at TCU. Uh, but lately for whatever reason, they have not been able to get things done on the road. So I'll take Texas actually in a, in a close game. Um, but I disagree with you that – I understand your point you're making about the Big 12 would benefit from uh, from Texas winning this game. I agree. I, I think you're absolutely right that it would be better for TCU to beat Texas Tech because there's nothing – like with all due respect to Texas Tech, it just doesn't register nationally. And I, that you're talking to somebody who's got him in the top ten right now. Um, but it's like – it's an awesome story, and Keenan Evans has been terrific, but like – it's not, it's not, it's not Oklahoma Trey Young type of story. Mm-hmm. My my point being, Texas Tech Stick can afford to take a loss in whatever. Um, it doesn't it doesn't hurt the resume at, at all. Uh, but Oklahoma, if if I'm the Big Twelve, I want Trey Young and Oklahoma there. to stay to stay as as big and good as it can possibly stay because so far this season, Trey Young has been the story of the college basketball season. So I actually don't want Oklahoma losing if I'm the Big 12 because I don't want Oklahoma falling in the rankings, getting off a radar. I don't want people starting to Lose, use losses against Trey Young and national player of the year conversation stuff uh, So if I'm the Big 12 I actually want Oklahoma to win I want Trey Young to stay Awesome because I want the story Of college basketball to continue to be a story for my league
1: that makes sense it does make a lot of sense And in that way you're 100% right I was only talking about it through the prism of if Sure the, if the Big 12 wants to make sure that It gets you know if it's talked about as the best league in the Country well you know Have your teams that are sitting there in the four, five, six, seven, eight spots win at home as as often as they can to get themselves in the best position to get bids and then good seeds. So broadly speaking, from a tournament selection perspective, that's what would benefit the league. But in the, you want Oklahoma as a 2 3 4 seed. There's no doubt about it. And it would, they would be better served by that. That's pretty much it for the weekend, by the way. I mean, there's a few other ones here and there, but eh, Sunday. Yeah. I mean, Sunday's yeah, I not mean, a lot. You got the Super Bowl, but you got, you know, Seton Hall at Villanova. Like, Villanova's going to win that game by 14 points. And uh, Arizona State at Washington State, okay, if Arizona State loses that game, we'll have a discussion on the, about them on the next podcast if they can't beat Wazoo because we'll probably have to, to reassess them overall. But other than that, Sunday, as it normally is when there's the Super Bowl, there's just not a ton there.
0: Right. I would say the only other game that will get some attention and probably not for what happens on the court, but for what happens in the media room afterward, yes. Michigan State is at Indiana on Saturday night. I know you wrote about this earlier in the week when Tom Izzo, for the I think third time in six days, basically said, I'm not going to talk about Travis Walton. I'm not going to talk about Keith Appling. I'm not going to uh, talk about Adrian Payne. And it, what was interesting about that is he said – That, you know, he can say whatever he wants, which sort of refutes the idea of, you know, I'm being told not to talk. I'm not allowed to talk. He said, I I can talk. I can say what I want to say, I think. Uh, But he just – so so perhaps he's being advised not to talk more so than he's being told not to talk. But either way, I mean these questions aren't going to go away, are they? You would expect that Saturday night somebody's going to be there to ask him these same questions and make him squirm again, right?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a relatively late tip on Saturday, eight fifteen, which means I won't get to the dais probably until about ten thirty, ten forty or so Eastern Time. Um, presume they're they're still going to come as they should still continue to come with Izzo. Listen, it it is an interesting uh, decision to take. If not, it's not totally surprising here. Um, Graham couch had a, a relatively interesting column in the, in the Lansing journal about Izzo choosing. to. Take- I,
0: I, I, I like that column. Let me give credit to Graham. Couch yeah. Cause I tear, I tear him up in the poll attacks all the time. Um, I, 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 I guess I would say this. I think he's terrible at ranking basketball teams. <laughs> I, I think he's a very good columnist. Like, I thought that column he wrote midweek on Michigan State was very good. It,
1: yeah, it, it put into perspective why Izzo would be doing what he's doing from his position and, and really, you know, putting his foot down as it pertains to ESPN and the way that it framed the story. I would refute some of what Graham wrote just because you cannot be too transparent, or, or too cautious and 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 show too much um affection and consideration for any potential survivors and victims in situations like this and at this point we simply haven't gotten that from Izzo. and as I wrote if he does if he feels that a lot of what's happened what what was written in the SVM report is wrong well he has not said that yet either and even if he's being advised not to he has not even spoken in broad terms the only thing he's really said is i'm going to have nothing but Complete support for the survivors. I'm keeping them in my mind. I'm thinking about them every day. I want my team to help the healing process in whatever way they think is right. And by the way, the time has not even yet come for that, which to me indicates that there are still, uh, if not legal, bureaucratic proceedings that have to take place. Um, I'm sure the people in Michigan State are extremely frustrated right now at the way um, this story is being written about. But all I can say to that is, Izzo has a few different avenues that he can go about addressing this without infringing upon what some spooked uh, people in that athletic department or or legal counsel might be talking to him about. He's still choosing not to do it, and so you're going to have to take the hits. If that's the route you're going to take, that's fine. By all means, do that. You're just going to keep delaying this, and you're going to keep getting these kinds of questions. says he's going to speak about it, won't even offer up a timeline on when that's going to be. If you want to go that route, that's fine. It is potentially a very dangerous one, though, particularly if any more information comes out That would put you or your program in a negative light. What you have chosen to do here would only inflame the process. And so this is a little bit of a risk. But at the same time, I understand why Izzo is choosing to do what he has done here. And I do take him at his word. I do believe him. Even though I've been critical of Izzo, I want to state here that I do believe him when he said, uh, you know, I have been completely forthcoming in every investigation and will continue to do so. I believe that to be the case, but it doesn't absolve some issues that are still lingering there with him. And so, yes... On Saturday, we will get, I would think, more questions from local Indiana media, if not you know, national media there as well. ESPN has sent a to every single one of his press conferences. We await to see what comes next. It could be more of the same. And if it's more of the same, then we still wait to see, well, when are you going to be able to tell us more? Izzo refuses to bring any sort of light on that.
0: On some level, it reminds me of a time a college coach was caught having a, an affair with a student. And he had to resign. And... At a press conference where he announced his resignation, you know he was obviously getting asked a whole bunch of questions about this young woman, about the circumstances, so on and so forth. And he said, i, I now not the time to talk about this, but I will talk about it at some point. There's another side to the story, and I will explain that side, you know at at a, at a more appropriate time." And to this day, I mean, that was probably almost twenty years ago. And to this day, I don't believe he's ever talked about it publicly Uh, my point being um just put it off put it off put it off eventually people stop asking that that might be a strategy here like eventually people will know i'm not going to talk about it they'll stop asking we just get back to coaching basketball um but i don't think that's the case here because though the circumstances situations that tom is having to deal with have literally nothing to do with larry nasser because of the larry nasser story this is um this is big, big national news in 2018 in a way that it was not 2007. Like everything that we're talking about now was also true in 2017, 16, 15, 14, 13. Didn't like, I don't want to say nobody cared, but you know, outside the lines, wasn't there sending a reporter every press conference. Here we are now. And the reason is because of, of the Larry Nasser story. And honestly, that is the frustration. I think that Graham touched on in his column and that many Michigan State fans have said like, yo, you're trying to, Group Tom Izzo and our football coach. You're trying to loop them into a story uh, about that's actually about Larry Nasser and what we deem is is unfair. And I I, I can actually see that that point of view. Um,
1: I can, but, but I want to. Just, I feel pushed to include a very important detail here. Outside the lines was trying to report on this stuff for years, and Michigan State was over the top in uh, blacking out any sort of uh, details in, in public records. And so ESPN sued Michigan State, which then lost, I believe, three times in court when it came to this. So the a lot of this is, is because of the fact that Michigan State was not forthcoming with information, thought it could win in court, and did not over and over. This story could have been talked about two and a half years ago, and it is somewhat coincidental and perhaps karmic that we are even talking about it now as it ties in with Nassar because this is only when the information was finally fully revealed and the investigative reporting could be completed so I understand that Michigan State fans are frustrated by that and think it's some sort of coup against their university. Hey, if your university had simply followed federal law and procedures and protocol in 2014, then we would have dealt with this years ago, but instead it used stall tactics kept losing in court and that's why it dovetailed like this.
0: My my larger point is that if if this story would have come out two years ago, it would not be nearly as big as it is right now. the the fact that it 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 comes out in the time frame of Larry Nassar makes it a bigger story than it otherwise would be. And not that it shouldn't be a big story. I'm not suggesting that at all. But it is undeniably a bigger story because it does li- it because we've been talking about Larry Nassar for the past few weeks. Um, for instance, and I didn't see this with my own eyes, but I did read it in Graham's co- uh, column. He said ESPN at one point had a a background like screen or like whatever on, and it was Larry Nasser, Tom Izzo, and uh, D'Antonio,
1: and the, which and is and unfair. Mark,
0: Mark D'Antonio, which yeah, I, like that. If if that frustrates Michigan State fans, you are putting our two most prominent coaches on a screen in an equal size as larry Nasser, just the visual what that implies um that's unfair i understand why michigan state fans might think that's unfair either way um for whatever reason let's just agree on that this is not going to go away this is not going to be something people stop asking questions for uh, about and so if i were tom and he hasn't asked my advice on this but if i ever were tom I think what I would do – and I'm not even suggesting it should be me. I would obviously love for it to be me. But I would sit down with somebody you've got a good relationship with. I would have a camera rolling. We would do a sit-down interview, no holds barred, ask whatever you want to ask, and then be done with it You know, for better or worse. That way at least it stops happening in press conferences. And if somebody shows up at a press conference wants to ask a question about it, you can you can actually and honestly say, I've already discussed that. I'm not going to discuss it again. You can um, my quotes from that interview I did. um, That that, you know, I I stand by those. And and eventually, then those questions do stop. But he obviously hasn't gone that path yet for whatever reason.
1: Yep, we'll see what happens Saturday night, and then go from there. And uh, we'll see uh, either Sunday or Monday. Well, I guess we'll take schedule dependent here on our weekends for our next podcast.
0: Shouts. To Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, rated favorably, five stars, nice comments. That's all we ask, and we will talk to you again very shortly, I would assume, on Sunday. till then, take care.